Well, the Bible has many different truths that it teaches us. And it contains many different commandments that it reveals for our obedience. It's like a land that is flowing with many different streams of truth. But you know, all those streams converge and flow together into one great river in the Holy Scriptures. And that great river at the heart of the Bible is the river of love. I mean, think about it. What did Jesus say was the great commandment upon which all of our obedience, all of our religion hangs? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But this love that, that we are called to exercise, this love that is our duty to show to each other, is actually the, the effect or the result of a far greater love. Because as John says in this, this very chapter, we love because he first loved us. 1 John four nineteen, And so... When we love each other, when, when a stream of love flows from your heart out towards someone else or rises up towards God and worship, where did that stream come from? It came from God's love. It begins with Him. And the Bible tells us that, that He works that love in our hearts. We, we read that earlier in verse 7, where it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. In fact, he says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But you know, this, this river of love has an even deeper source. It goes even deeper than that. Because not just subjectively in our hearts God works love, but God sent his love into this world by sending his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. The, that love, that river of love springs forth from the very heart of the Father in sending us his Son in order to save us. And this is what John explains to us in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, which is the text that we're going to be looking at this evening. Now, John wrote his first epistle with very simple words. But don't let that fool you. These are extremely deep truths. Take, for example, what he says back in verse 8 at the end of the verse. He says, God is love. That's just three words. Three simple words that you could teach a little child. In fact, that, I think that was the first memory verse that one of our children ever learned. I can still hear her voice saying, God, ye, love. Such simple words. And yet, who can fathom what it means that God is love? And another thing about the way John writes is, he doesn't write in lines, he writes in loops. Now, what I mean by that is this. He doesn't develop this argument that just progresses in a logical way, step by step by step by step, kind of the way you see, say, in 
the Apostle Paul's writings. Instead, what John does is he'll talk about something, and then he'll come back and say basically the same thing again. He'll loop around, but he'll say it in a slightly different way because he wants us to think about it some more, and he wants us to... It's, it's like this sparkling diamond. As you hold it and turn it in the light, it flashes in different ways as different facets of it are exposed. And so that's what we see in verses 9 and 10. Uh, for example, in verse 9 it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only begotten Son. And what does he say in verse 10? Well, if you kind of shorten it a little bit, it says, In this is love, he loved us and sent his Son. So the, the main point, the, the great theme of this passage is really quite simple. It says, God displayed his love by sending his son. Now, think about that. One thing that that means is that God desires for us to know his love. I mean, he could have just loved us sort of in the background, caring for us and doing various things for us. But when it says that, that God, his love was made manifest amongst us, that word manifest means plainly and openly displayed. It's, it's showcased. It's front and center. It's, it's got spotlights on it. God is saying, I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to, to fail to see this. I want you to know my love. And the way that he has done this is by sending his son. Doesn't this sort of echo, not in words, but in thoughts, the way that John opened his gospel when he called Christ the Word? Remember that in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. Why is Jesus called the Word? It's because the Son is the message. He is the message. He, he comes to us like a living Word to communicate to us who God is. He's the Son who discloses and reveals and makes known the Father's love. This also tells us that if you want to know God's love, how do you do it? You need to know Christ. Because it says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only begotten Son. This is why Jesus came. John says, just a little bit later in this book, in 1 John 5, 20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we might know him who is true. Uh, the great Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the love of God can only be finally understood and appreciated in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does that work? How does God sending his son into the world show us who God is? Well, we're going to walk through this in six steps. Six steps, the first four of which will come from verse 9. And then just like I said, we're going to kind of loop around again. And when we hit verse 10, we're going to see that John says 
much the same things, but we'll have two extra points there to wrap it up because he looks at what's going on in a slightly different way. So we begin with this, the son begotten in God's love. Our first point is the son begotten in God's love. Now, this is very difficult to to communicate in English translation, but in the original languages here, the word order is off. If you were to translate verse 9 very, very literally, it would say something like this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that his only begotten Son... God sent. You see, they've taken that phrase, the only begotten Son, and they've moved it to the very beginning of the clause. This is a way that John is drawing attention to this. He, he says, I want you to slow down. He puts kind of a little speed bump in the verse because he wants you to slow down and think about those words, the only begotten Son. Now, we also need to uh, address the translation of that phrase, because you might have noticed that when I was reading from my Bible, which I have the English Standard Version here, it didn't say the only begotten Son. It said the only Son. Um, In fact, that's the same translation that you'd find in the New International Version, the New Living Translation, and perhaps others. However, the fact of the matter is that this word that's translated here doesn't just mean only. It is best translated only begotten, like in the King James Version and the New American Standard Bible. You see, it's, it's, a, it's a compound word. The first part of the word means only. But the second part of the word means, when it's applied to a human being, it means a descendant or a natural offspring. And so this idea of being begotten is in there. You you know what begotten means, right? You remember the begats in the Bible? You know, Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob. It just means to to father a child. And so this word means not just only, but only begotten or only offspring or only descendant or child. When it's, when it's translated in other parts of the scriptures, like in Luke 7, 12, it means the only son of his mother. That's, that's the translation. And to translate it as only is inadequate. It's never used like of someone's only horse or someone's only sword. It's always used in the scriptures in a literal sense of someone's only natural child. Thus in Luke 8.42, it's an only daughter. Or in Luke 9.38, it is my only child. Now that brings us to consider the doctrine here. What is being taught us by this phrase, the only begotten son? Well, God has many children by adoption, doesn't he? Adoption's a beautiful thing because it, it, it pictures, it reflects, it mirrors God's love in taking people who are not naturally part of his family and bringing them in, right? But God only has one begotten son. 
He only has one son who is of his very nature. God's son that is generated from the father. Now, don't misunderstand me. The Bible is not saying that God created his son at a point in time. We call this eternal generation. Because God the Father has always begotten God the Son, and they live together as the one infinite, eternal God. Again, we see this same idea, though in different words, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. You remember how John opens up his Gospel, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, wait a minute. Think about that. So, he's the Word. This is is Christ, the Son of God. He's the Word, which means he is God's self-expression. Right? He is God's communicating of himself. And yet, he is also a person. This Word is a person. He is with God. He is in relationship with the Father. And yet, John also says that he is God. And so, God the Father expresses himself in his word, but he expresses himself so perfectly that the person he expresses has the very same divine nature that he has. He is one God with the Father. And when did this happen? Well, John says, in the beginning was the word. In other words, it's already done in the beginning. It happens outside of time. It happens in the mysteries and the wonder of God's eternity. And my friends, this this isn't part of the ancient Christian faith. This is not some, some new idea that your crazy preacher has cooked up. Um, This this goes all the way back in the way that it's being expressed now. It's expressed in the Nicene Creed of the earliest centuries of the church. The Nicene Creed says, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. And our own confession of faith, the 1689 London Baptist Confession, says, the Son is eternally begotten by the Father. Now, at this point, you might be saying, wait a minute. I thought you were going to be preaching about love. What is all this stuff about the Father begetting the Son? What does that have to do with love? Well, my friends, it has everything to do with love. Because, remember, John has said, God is love. Love isn't just something that God does. Love is who he is. And God doesn't change. He didn't become love after he made us and then had us to love. And yet, how can there be love if there is only one person? And so what John is doing here is he is unpacking for us 
giving us a little glimpse into the, the eternal glory of God, the God who is love, because from all eternity, he has been the Father and his only begotten Son, living together in perfect, infinite love. And you might say, okay, that's, that's amazing, but what does that have to do with me? I mean, I, what I would like to hear, perhaps you're thinking, is I would like to hear about how God loves me, right? That's what really matters to me. Well, what about how God loves me? Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to God's love for us. But what, what you need to see here is that God's love is much bigger than us. God's love is much greater than us. God's love is the infinite, eternal love within the Trinity itself, shared by the Father and the Son. We haven't mentioned it, but the Holy Spirit as well. In one eternal, burning, infinite, incomprehensible flame of pure love. This is, this is the, the heart of, of all that we believe. This is the great ocean of love from which flows that river of love that enters into our lives. This is the great message of the Bible. It's, it's much more than just that God loves us. It is, as John 3.35 says, the Father loves the Son. Or again in John 5.20, the Father loves the Son. And Christ says to his Father in John 17, 24, you loved me before the foundation of the world. Get your arms around the, the grandeur, the greatness, the beauty of this love. This love that, that began when we didn't even exist. This love that doesn't depend upon us. This love that is shared between two persons of such absolute glory. And yet they are so close to each other that they are one God. The Father. The Son. The Father eternally begetting the Son. I still remember the, the wonder that I felt when... Um, when my daughter was born, you know, I just, just kind of stared at her as the, the nurses put her out on, on that little table. I looked out at her little fingers, little toes, and took my thumb and put it down by her hand. She took her tiny little hand and wrapped it around my thumb. And it, it's, it's almost indescribable, the love that a parent has for a child knowing that that child has been born of your love, that that child is of you and yet is a distinct person. My friends, that is, that's like a tiny little spark of love compared to the burning glorious sun of the Father's love for his only begotten son. 
whom he eternally generates out of his heart of love. But this love is not bound up and limited to God. And this is where it it starts to break into our world. Because John doesn't tell us merely here about the only begotten Son, but he secondly tells us about the Son sent because of God's love. The Son who is sent because of God's love. We see in our text the sending forth of this Son. It says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that His only begotten Son, God sent He sent him. And of course, this is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? This is the heart of the good news. Think about the the sending of God's beloved. This is is what John 3.16 is about. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I mean, if... It would be a great blessing to us, right, for God to send us a human prophet to come and declare to us and show to us his love. That would be a huge blessing. But it would be an even greater blessing for God to send one of his holy angels from heaven to come down and declare to us the love of God. But that is, that's like a candle to the sun compared to God sending his own son, his only begotten son to the world. He sent to us the one that the angels worship. He sent to us his very heart, his very life to show us, to communicate to us his infinite, glorious, eternal love. And what does this mean, that that he sent his son? You see, his son didn't just kind of appear here on earth, visit or something like that. This is talking about the incarnation. This is the same thing that John is talking about as earlier in this chapter, when he describes how we distinguish between the spirit of God and, and false and evil spirits that are bringing a false and evil message. When he talks in verse 2 about how the truth, the true message from the true Holy Spirit is this. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is the sending of the Son. It is this glorious Son, eternal, all-powerful, infinite, God of God, taking on flesh. Becoming human, embracing a human body, a human spirit, human feelings, and becoming one of us. You know, if I were if I were to to say I want to show love for people, I want to declare God's love, so I'm going to go to some far off land. And I'll tell them about God's love. Well, that would be a laudable thing, right? That would be a good thing to do. But what if somebody were to come and say, I will become one of you? That's what he did. He became one of us. He became human. 
without ceasing to be God, he became fully and truly man with our flesh and blood, with, with our feelings, so that he could bring the love of God into humanity. He came to do his Father's will. And so he was born of the flesh of the Virgin Mary, the Son, the Son of God, this eternal beloved of God. He's been sent. He has been sent. And listen, when he comes, when he comes, he brings into human life the very love that eternally begot him. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15, 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, you know, if this weren't in the Bible, I wouldn't dare to say it. It almost doesn't seem right. But listen, as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I have loved you. You say, well, that, that's a little bit difficult to believe. Jesus says it again in John 17, 23. He says to his father, you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And so here, here we have the infinite love of the Father generating the Son, producing the Son, speaking forth His eternal Word in infinite love, sharing unspeakable closeness, affection, delight, kindness. But that ocean of love opens up and that very same love comes to us in Jesus. It's incredible. And, and it's especially incredible when you think about whom it is that he has loved. Because notice what John says in 1 John 4, 9. He says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world. The world, well, you're thinking, well, okay, that just means he became a man. No, the word world in the writings of John is not a happy word. It is a bad word. But look just a little bit earlier in this chapter. It says uh, in verse 4, he says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. That means the evil spirits of Antichrist. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So who is in believers? Well, that'd be the Holy Spirit, right? That's God the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And who is in the world? The devil. Satan. Satan. And so, this is what, when John says that he sent him into the world, he said he sent him into a human race that is ruled by, directed by, infected by Satan, the devil. He says 
in uh, chapter 5, verse 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So this is, this is not a lovely world. We need to understand when it talks about God loving the world, John is intending to cause us to say, what? Why would God ever love this world? Because the world is unlovely. It is, it is unlovable in a human sense. It, it is ugly. It is twisted. It is full of lies. Jesus said in John 8, 44, that the devil is a murderer and the father of lies. And we look across this world. What's happening in it? Lies and murder. It's full of hatred and malice and destruction and deceit. And God says, yes, that's the world that I sent my son to, to show my love. I mean, it would be like one of your kids, or say your grandkids, if they're grown up, saying, I feel like God has called me to do missions work. I, I want to go out and proclaim the gospel. And you're like, that's wonderful. That's so exciting. Where do you want to go? He says, I want to go to Afghanistan to preach to the Taliban. You're like, what? They hate you. They, they, if they find out you're an American, they will kill you. And God says to his son, this is your mission. I'm sending you to the world dominated by Satan because I love them. That's you. That's me. That's us. That's the glory. God sends his son, his only begotten son. He sends us his very heart, his very life, and he sends it to us. Ruled, controlled by the devil. And he sends him, fourthly, to give life. It's a life-giving mission of God's love. We've seen that, firstly, the only begotten Son. We've seen His sending that Son. We've, we've seen the unlovely world that God has loved. But, but notice, He comes to give life. He says it in verse 9, So that we might live through Him. Now what does that imply if He comes to give us life? What does that imply about our condition apart from Christ? It means we're dead. We're dead. It doesn't say that he came to augment our life or to give us a better life. Just to give us life. We were dead. We were dead in our sins. There wasn't an ounce of spiritual life. Not, a, not an iota, not a speck of love or faith or goodness towards God within us. We were dead, and he came to give us life. John says in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the life, excuse me, whoever has the Son 
has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And understand as well that when it says that that we might have life, this life doesn't just mean that we get to go to heaven when we die. When someone comes alive, that life is active. That life is fruitful. That life produces something because this is the very life of God working within man to create human beings who are like God. And what is God like? God is love. And so when Christ comes and gives us life, he produces love inside of us. This is what, um, what John says back in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So there it is. The world ruled by Satan, spiritually dead, no real godlike love in it. But Christ comes. Who is Christ? He is the Son begotten of the Father's love. He is the Son sent forth by the Father's love. He takes on our human nature so that the love of God now has flesh and bones and lips and teeth and fingers and a human heart and a human soul. And this Lord Jesus, who comes to be our life-giving King, this Lord Jesus, who comes filled with the Holy Spirit, touches our lives by His Spirit. He makes us alive, and we then have the same love of God. That heavenly river now flows through us so that we also love. And now the circle is complete. The circle is complete. What starts with with the love of the Father generating His Son now comes down through to us through the Son It transforms us with Jesus as our life-giving king. He then makes us people of love, and then our love flows out to each other and back up to God. The circle is complete. And it brings us into fellowship with each other and with God. John wrote this epistle, he says in chapter 1, verse 3, that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the image that came to my mind. I know that all analogies for this are imperfect. Our our very thoughts are, are inadequate to really comprehend this, but there's truth here that we can get our arms around. So this is the illustration that came to my mind. It's Jesus says in John 1.18 that the Son is in the bosom of the Father. That's a picture of embrace. The bosom is a chest, and so to if you hug somebody and you hold them close to you, the way you might with one of your children or your grandchildren, that child is in your bosom. It's a picture of 
the father's loving embrace of his son and the intimacy and closeness that the father and son have with each other. But what God does in the gospel is it's like he opens up his arms and he reaches out to us and he sweeps us up in his arms and gathers us into his very heart and bosom of love through his son. He takes that same love that he has for his son and somehow he extends it out to us and sweeps us up and changes us so that we respond in love just as as the son loves the father. We also love the son and the father in the Holy Spirit and now we are part of the family. And this is the wonder of God's love. God displayed his love by sending his son. And this is something about God's love that we never could have learned apart from Christ. I mean, we can see something about God's love in in the sunshine, as we hear the birds sing. We can see something about God's love in the world that he made. But the truths that are being expressed here in Scripture and the way that that God is bringing us into his very life without making us gods, he, he can't do that, but as his image bearers, connecting us to Jesus, pouring out his love upon us, making us people of love just like his son, this is truth that you'd never know if it weren't for the Bible. And it's so wonderful, it's so amazing that that John, like I said, he loops around again. He returns to these same themes and there's just two more things that he highlights because he wants to hammer the nail all the way into the board. He wants us to really get this, okay? So look at verse 10. Look at verse 10, it says, In this is love... Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, it's the same basic thing as he said before, but there are two more points that he makes. The first is that the the world to which he sent his son is not only unlovely, it is unloving. He says, not that we've loved God. We didn't love God. God loved us, but we didn't love him. And make no mistake, when John says that we didn't love God, he's not just saying that we were kind of indifferent to God. God is not somebody that you can be indifferent towards. He's your maker. He owns you and everything in the world. He is your lawgiver. And so to not love God means to hate God. Now you might say, that's a little extreme. I mean, I don't think very many people actually hate God, even if they don't go to church. Well, listen to what Jesus said in John 15, verse 18. 
Jesus says to his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Listen, the world may think it's just indifferent to Jesus. It hates Jesus. And how do we know that? Because when he came, it crucified him. And it would do it again if given the opportunity. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Because in John 15, 23, just five verses later, he also says, Whoever hates me hates my father also. So the world hates God. But get your arms around this. It is precisely when we were hating God, utterly opposed to him, we had contempt for him, we were not interested in him. If we could have, we would have taken God off of his throne and ungodded him. And it's precisely then that God loved us and sent his son. You know, what is it like to love somebody who doesn't love you in return? You ever tried that? You know, it is so hard. It is so hard. You, you reach out and they bite your hand. You, you try and show kindness and they're cruel. You share something of your heart and they mock you. To love someone who doesn't love you is an amazing kind of love. But that's precisely the kind of love that God showed us. He loved us when we hated him. But not only that, but sixthly, John tells us that God loved us when he was extremely angry with us. Now that is contained within the word propitiation. If you look at the end of verse 10, it says, He loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now I know propitiation is a huge word, right? And it's not a word that we use very much today. You probably haven't said propitiation over this past week. So, so what is this all about? What does this mean? The word propitiation means a gift or sacrifice that appeases the anger of someone who has been wronged and who is deeply offended. We can understand this on a human level, right? Let's say you do something and it's wrong. I mean, you say something, and you're just like, I can't believe I said that. And you deeply offend the person that you said it to. And you're like, wow, this is, this is really bad. I mean, this, this has the potential of destroying your relationship. What you said is so offensive. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, you're heartbroken over what you did. And so you, you realize, I need to make amends somehow. And so you, you know this person. You know what would touch this person's heart. And so you bring some gift. You show up at their front step. 
You bring a gift that you know is going to mean something. And you're like, I am so sorry. What I did was so wrong. Would you please forgive me? And here, as a token of my sincerity, here, please take this. And they look at it and they say, wow. They really, ha- they really are trying to make up for what they did. And you can just see that um, the, the, the light comes back in the eyes. And they're like, come inside. Come inside. It's, the relationship is now starting to heal. You understand how that works between people? Well, here's the thing. When we sin against God, we offend him. And we offend him in a huge way. You see, it's not possible to hurt God. You can't injure God. He's the Almighty. But you can wrong him. You can dishonor him. You can fail to give to him the obedience and the worship that you, as a creature who has been made by God... And everything that you are and everything that you have is his gift. When you don't give to him the service and obedience that you owe him, it is a great wrong. It is the kind of wrong that would cause the angels of heaven to say, smite that sinner. Justice demands that the wicked thing that you have done should be punished. We we grasp this so poorly. We're we're so man-centered in our view of our relationship with God. We think that we only do something wrong if it hurts another human being. We fail to understand what David grasped when he said, Against you only have I sinned. And he'd sinned against people. He'd hurt people. He'd, He'd wrecked people's lives, and yet he recognizes that his sin, the great offense of his sin was against God. He had sinned against God, and justice demands punishment. And so how do we make propitiation? How can we bring something to God that would satisfy his justice How can we make up for our sins? And here's the problem. We can't. We can't do it. Because our sin is so great and so offensive. And frankly, what are you going to bring? You're going to bring him obedience? You already owe him that obedience. That's not going to make up for anything. Anything that you do to obey him is only going to be what he's commanded you to do. Furthermore... Dear friends, you will not bring him obedience because you are a sinner and your hands are stained. Imagine that person coming to that door with that gift to try and make up for things and the gift is filthy because the person is filthy. That's that's where we're at. But the wonder of what has happened with Jesus is that God sent his only begotten son so that he would pay the price. He offers himself in our place as our substitute to make atonement 
for our sins. He is the one who turns away the wrath of God, the offense, the anger. He is, as John the Baptist said in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's the job of a lamb in the Jewish religion? The job of a lamb is to die in the place of sinners. I want you to think about what this says about God's love. Because what that means is, at the precise moment when God looked at us, and he looked at us, and he was so angry with us, that he could have rightly just said, Depart from me, you doers of iniquity. You accursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. He was that angry with us. And yet precisely then, when he was that offended, that angry, that's when he loved us. And he said, these people are wicked, evil people. They deserve to go to hell, but I will give them my son. And I will take my wrath and I will put it on my beloved, only begotten son. Some of us may have adopted children. And sometimes there's a cost to adopting children. It can be expensive. But I doubt that any of us have paid for the adoption of our adopted children by sending one of our natural children to his death. That's what God did to make Jesus the propitiation, the one who bore the offense. He carried the curse. He became a curse for us, Paul says in Galatians 3, so that, listen to this, so that God would remove everything that would hinder him from loving us forever. So that all the offense that God had against our sin would be wiped away, and so that when God looks at you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he looks at you, and yes, he still sees your sins. He's not blind, but he looks at you, and he also sees his son. He sees Jesus. And he says, it is finished. The payment has been made. The propitiation has happened. And his wrath is not against you anymore. And do you know what that means? That means the gates are open and the river of love can flow. And God will love you and love you and love you and love you and love you. Forever and ever and ever, if you belong to Jesus Christ. Wow! What an amazing God! What an amazing love! And I, I hope that if you have heard this, and yet you are still somebody who is not yet trusted in Christ and received Christ, that this causes you to say, I need Jesus. Because listen, if you're not in Christ, you don't have this life yet. You don't belong to 
yet. You're, you're still under God's wrath. He is offended at you. You have not loved God. And if you don't trust in Christ, you will receive the righteous penalty for your sins. And you will suffer the wrath of God forever. But God, God has sent this message to you tonight because he wants you to hear this and he calls you, he invites you. Yes, he commands you, come to my son. If you will but trust my son, if you'll stop making excuses, if you will just trust in him and him alone, then you will be embraced by the arms of my love. You'll be forgiven of all your sins. I will give you life through him. And you will live forever with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all the family of God. And my friends, for those of you who do know God, who, who have this life within you, then let me encourage you through this truth to love fervently, to recognize that at the heart of true Christianity is a blazing fire of love. And if you want to be a Christian, in other words, if you are a Christian, and you, you want to be a Christian with all your might, then become a person of love. Love God with all that you are. Live to honor Him, to glorify Him, to thank Him, to enjoy His goodness in Christ. Keep His commandments because that's how you love Him back. And His commandment is that you would love one another. That you would love one another. Don't you see that that's how this great purpose is fulfilled? God wants the world to know His love. But for the world to know his love, that love needs to be clothed in human flesh, like yours. That love needs to take possession of your mouth to speak words of love to one another. That love needs to take possession of your hands to serve and care for one another. That love needs to take possession of your feet so that you will go to those who don't know his love, those who aren't here today, to tell them of his love, to show them his love, to say, come, come, come. We have a banquet we're going to. It's a feast of love. Come, find this love with us. This love has come to us. We want you to know it too. Become a people of love. And in so doing, you will know the love of God in an even greater way. Let's pray.